Welcome to another episode of Hemp Barons. I'm Dan Humiston, and on today's show, Joy travels to the north, to Canada, to talk hemp genetics with one of the world's leading authorities. They talk about how the genetics have changed and improved over the years, and what we should expect in the future. Let's join Joy's conversation with Jeff Kostowick from Hemp Genetics International. Well, welcome to Hemp Barons. Thank you for being with us today, Jeff. My pleasure, Joy. Now, you are a contributor to the reemergence of this hemp crop on a global scale of, of such epic proportions, I'm not quite even sure how to describe it. The, the knowledge base uh, that you have acquired since being you know, in Manitoba, you, before you even began your career with Hemp Production Services and Hemp Genetics International, you'd had a 26-year career serving the government of Manitoba um, in regenerative conservation practices, starting out as a soil technician in 1989. And then when the regulation of the hemp crop uh, began federally in Canada in 1998, you were basically put in charge of the, of the research happening in that province, which, of course, is, is the heart in so many ways uh, of the hemp, hemp movement in North America. Explain to us what it was like for you uh, in 1998, when when the, the crop was federally legalized in Canada and you were told, okay, you're now going to deal with hemp. What was that like for you, Jeff? It's, uh, it, was, it was quite, quite, uh, uh, quite neat, I guess you could say, is the, the, the easiest way to put it. But we had, um, you know, as, as always, we always tend to struggle with our regular commodities and particularly where we're from here in Canada, we don't grow a lot of corn or soybeans uh, yet, and it's really a, a small rotation that we have to work with. And so part of the interest and and reinterest in growing hemp was that it, it could be grown in the area of the province where we're from, which has a very short growing season. And I guess beginning at that point, I think uh, the world in general, we, we, we know so much more about cannabis these days and the health benefits and the nutritional benefits but at that time you know i guess there was still a lot of uncertainty with knowing whether it was hemp or marijuana and essentially there was a, a distinct line drawn in the sand that um kind of made sure that those two things were separate so we we still call it the giggle factor where when we would go to farm shows and start talking about hemp um, you know, there would still be the comment, well, if I smoke, roll it up into a bale and smoke it, am I going to get high? And so, uh, you know, it, it took a lot of time to sort of um, get around that stigma. But, uh, you know, once, once accepted, uh, farmers really took to the crop and uh, it, it changed, uh, changed the landscape uh, substantially in just a short period of time. Now, Canada then very quickly... <laughs> made itself the global leader in, well, quick as hemp goes, Jeff, we all know hemp isn't in much of a hurry, even though everybody else is. But as hemp goes, Canada very quickly made itself the global leader in, in hemp grain processing and bulk hemp food ingredients. Uh, can you tell us how, how that industry evolved versus fiber varieties, for example? And then we can get into the extract here in, in a moment. But no one in Canada, of course, until the passage of the Cannabis Act last year, no hemp farmers could extract 
the flowering tops and leaves and resins. In fact, as we know, all of those parts of the plant, even the bracts around the seed needed to be left on farm and were not touchable. So in the beginning, those, those were the two choices, fiber and grain. How, did, how was the choice made? How did that evolve? Yeah, so essentially, um, I guess just as the U.S. is going through now, trying to bring um, varieties uh, from, from Europe and from Canada to be trialed, that's essentially how we started off in Canada. We brought in a lot of varieties from from Europe, and um, I, I would say most, mainly from Europe. But they were destined, or they were bred for sort of high fiber varieties, or so lots of biomass. But there wasn't a lot known, I don't think, at that particular time on the nutritional value of the hemp seed. And kudos go off, and and hats go off to two of the pioneers in in learning much about the food product and that's Mike Fata of Manitoba Harvest and Sean Crew of Hemp Oil Canada and back when I began I worked closely or fairly closely with these gentlemen as far as learning about the agronomy and how to grow the crop successfully for for grain and uh, those uh, individuals certainly took the bull by the horns and uh, you know I'm not going to say exploited but made consumers aware of the nutritional value that this uh, this crop has. And so what happened from that point on is that the breeding programs within Canada saw these tall varieties that were high grain yielders. Um, how could we make it easier for farmers to harvest with their conventional equipment and not have as many burning combines or issues with wrapping? And so um, a company like Hemp Genetics, like ourselves, we took that large seed head and just got it closer to the ground, which increases what we call the harvest index. And so uh, making farmers um, happier and being able to handle the crop more efficiently uh, was a natural way that we were actually able to increase yields with uh, both genetics and just learning how to handle the crop. So that's uh, that's essentially how um, I would say it, it's happened in Canada and in Manitoba alone. Um, you know, this area was a, and still is a very prominent hemp growing area. Uh, so the experience that the, the growers had was attractive for the processors. And that's why the majority of the processing started off in, in Manitoba. And I guess with the work that we were doing at, at that point, I was working for uh, Parkland Crop Diversification Foundation, and that's where we supported the industry. It was a, it was a good, it was a good time. Everybody uh, moving towards the same direction and moving the industry forward. And you know, your colleague, my mentor and colleague uh, Andrea Herman, who we've had on the show here, was was just talking, of course, about Parkland Crop Diversification and and her internship um, and. Talk for a moment, and then I, I'm excited to, to for the listeners to learn about Hemp Genetics International and Hemp Production Services, but I, I know that research is close to your heart. You love this plant. Um, there are a few people in the world that love this plant as, as much as I do, and, and I know you do. Could we talk about the importance of research right now? Um, and I know it's a big topic, so so feel free to narrow it down to, to the pieces that you think are most important, but why is re- folks want this sort of plug and play? Oh, we're just going to take this hemp plant and and plug it in here. Take hemp and make it into the to paper at this paper factory or this these textiles or or this grain processing facility. But hemp is unique in every single way, and research is so important. Could you elaborate on that for us? 
Sure. And yeah, absolutely. It's uh, the research part is is quite dear to my heart. And as we move our, the interest, I guess, of our genetics into the U.S., that was part of my uh, mission or goal in life was to align myself with as many research institutes to um, take essentially the risk um, and the questions that farmers will have in a local area on how to grow the crop successfully. So just just as it is with every crop, um, hemp um, and different varieties do better in different locations. And it's important for farmers to be able to get local data that will reflect what how the plant will um, perform in their area. So in a nutshell, everything on the agronomy side of things, as far as the planting rate, the planting date, um, fertility, uh, and what soils to plant into is extremely important for every producer to know. And no one variety is going to be the answer for all. And so that's why the variety testing that we take part in, it's a multi-state trial in the U.S. Um, and, and other um, trials located throughout the country that we can, we can participate in is very important to make me a better agronomist so that I can provide better information and um, really take some of the risk out of the growers um, who who haven't had the the opportunity or the experience to work with the crop yet. So um, getting that uh, filtered down, and, and that was my role prior to hemp genetics, was an extension. So extending that information to farmers was, was and still is extremely important uh, for me. And the, and the contributions that you have made in that respect, and in fact that you still continue to, and, and that's a perfect segue, Moving in now to Hemp Genetics International, talk about research, breeding unique, distinct, stable varieties that have a high nutritional profile that will produce an excellent yield that, of course, are far, far below the 0.3% THC threshold. Hemp Genetics International comes into the world, and we get folks coming out of retirement, your colleagues, with this great interest. Uh, in this plant. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the, the very unique and scholarly and accomplished team um, that you lead, uh, that you co-lead at Hemp Genetics International and even um, the experience around uh, pulse crops? Sure. So, yeah, Hemp Genetics is, um, is really a farmer-based uh, organization, I guess, or company. We have, uh, I believe we've got nine professional uh, agronomists on our team um, working working throughout. And, and as we mentioned, Andrea is a professional agronomist and, and she's in works in our sales. But the, the experience that um, the core members, I guess, of the company have had initially were from the practical side of things and the experience in growing the crop and so a lot of the information that we provide is just that it's it's practical and uh, from from our from our own experience. Along with that, we've got um, what what is probably the world's um, perhaps most famous lentil breeder, um, Bert Vandenberg, Dr. Bert Vandenberg, who leads our breeding team. And now we have a, a, a fresh young face in the crowd, out of the crowd, I guess. Uh, Dr. Essa Hughes also coming on board. So. We, we, we have a lot of experience on, in the breeding side of things uh, on multiple different crops. And it is something that we're looking at to diversify a little bit more too with hemp genetics is to look at 
uh, a lot of different protein um, crops for for the industry and uh, including fava beans and th- that work great in the rotation with hemp they supply some some much needed nitrogen uh, particularly for organic situations so we're looking at sort of a full spectrum and um, uh, for full sustainability i guess uh, is another great buzzword that's often used but it's it's really part of what uh, what we'd like to see sort of on the in the landscape and putting more tools in the farmer's toolbox to make them more successful and so it's uh, it does take uh, a lot of work and and um feel quite fortunate to be involved with the team that i am to be uh, involved with such knowledgeable people in each of their uh, each of their silos indeed and and we know of course that hemp loves nitrogen we were shouting from the rooftops in the 90s and i apologize for this that it doesn't take any inputs and it grows everywhere and it doesn't take water it's the miracle plant and of course some spindly form of hemp will surely grow somehow in the sahara desert uh but when we're talking about agriculture we're talking about you know growing for for yield uh and it's a hungry crop in different climates different soils uh uh, certainly take different amounts of of nitrogen and and uh, and the other nutrients that that hemp requires potassium um, sulfur and and of course so using a rotation with nitrogen fixing crops such as legumes or pulse crops is uh, is so important and healthy and hemp genetics international the breeders there uh, also are coming from pulse crops and are, are responsible i think for quite a few certified pedigreed varieties of pulse crops in the world before coming into hemp is that right that's true yes and i guess that was my association with dr vandenberg initially is when i worked as an applied research uh, specialist in manitoba and we were doing work with lentils, faba beans, uh, other pulse crops, as mentioned, peas. And it's it's obvious, as you mentioned, Joy, that, that hemp can grow in just about any place, just as most plants can. But to make a crop of it and to be successful and to be... Um, to make uh, basically to pay the bills, we have to uh, try to treat this crop as uh, as best we can to maximize its its genetic genetic potential. And by feeding it well and taking care of it from the uh, from the get go, uh, it, it in return uh, does us a favor by providing such a nutritional seed, uh, fiber, and and nutrition nutraceutical values at this time. So. Um, you know, it's 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 we've learned so much uh, about the crop in a short period of time, and again, we just need to make sure that that information filters down to the growers. And you do that so well, you and the whole team at HGI Hemp Genetics International and HPS Hemp Production Services. We've learned to uh, ch- turn them into their acronyms. You present, and I've had you Skyping in for years now to my uh, educational events. You're larger than life. Everyone gets to ask you questions live, and yet there you are in Manitoba or wherever you are in the world presenting. And of course, you fly all over um, to be physically present. And I know you work with uh, certainly institutions of higher education throughout the United States, Cornell right here in New York, uh, University of Kentucky, and, and so many others. And of course, the biggest drumbeat that you always and everyone in your organizations repeat is field selection, seed selection, agronomic practices, it starts with the seed and it starts with the field that you're growing in and the education that you put out around that is just so invaluable. 
And that is, um, I think, also a wonderful segue for us now then to talk a bit about hemp production services, which is also works with farmers and then moves into processing. And of course, hemp production services has a, has a great motto from our fields to your brand. So tell us a little bit about what hemp production services does and the connections that it makes, continues to make with the farmers outside of the genetics. So essentially, we're involved with, uh, uh, obviously, the genetics is the first part of uh, with hemp genetics. And then, uh, naturally, farmers need a place to market their, their product. And so um, we, we have a sister company called Hemp Production Services, where we process hemp seed into hauled hemp hearts. Uh, Dehold, I guess, is the proper word. <laughs> uh, we'll press the seed for hemp oil, cold-pressed hemp oil. And then from the meal that's left from that, we'll uh, provide or manufacture or process a protein powder from that for human consumption. So the, the objective, of course, with uh, hemp production services is to, again, um, make sure that farmers are as successful as they can be. So harvesting at the proper time, um, how to handle uh, the seed at a specific time, and making sure that the farmers are aware that there is very little processing done to the plant itself. And so it definitely has to start at the farm because we want to make sure that we have a safe, high quality food product. And, and for that matter, that it, the same goes for whether you're growing for fiber or for CBD quality and, and uh, for on the CBD side, you have to realize that it is going to be a food product. So handling, handling your crop, um, of hemp is much different than handling, say, a wheat crop or um, a soybean crop, where there's going to be a process in there that has a more more substantiated kill stop to kill any pathogens. And so we need to make sure that we work closely with farmers and to guide them in how to successfully um, provide this this great quality product for human consumption. And it most certainly is an art. In fact, uh, as you know, because we work closely in Colorado Hemp Works, a grain processing facility that I have the pleasure and privilege of, of being a part owner in. And we work very closely with hemp production services. And in America is coming up to speed with meeting those types of specs. And it's, it's it, you know, a challenge to watch uh, all of that happen. And in Canada, of course, uh, there, there is such already an expertise in so many ways from some of the more experienced farmers. And so we need to get uh, American farmers up to speed on how to prepare, store, uh, transport, uh, even harvest, as we know, the, the breaking of the hulls um, and, and making new genetics so that when, when the seeds are harvested, uh, the hulls won't crack, which, of course, will then damage the integrity of the seed and, and make it go rancid. When we talk about the nutritional profile of the unique and dense nutritious profile of the hemp seed, it doesn't come without a cost. It's, as, as tough as that stock is, the seed is fragile. And, uh, and so it's, it's fantastic to, to watch all of this unfolding. What are some things also that you see in the future? I know uh, for HPS or for, for HGI, I know that one of the products that Hemp Production Services um, has added in the last year or so, I believe, are the toasted hemp seeds. So you do oil, different protein powders, hulled seeds, 
seeds with the hulls and toasted hemp seeds. Am I missing anything there and, and anything that you're thinking about for the future that you can share with the public, as it were? Sure. No, I think we continually look at all aspects of the plant. And so, um, you know, we, we're currently we're, we're concentrating on the food side of things uh, with regards to with seed, but we're certainly interested in CBD production. As you mentioned, it was only August of last summer when we first became um, I guess available or or legal to play with uh, flowering parts, and so um, you know we're we're sort of gently getting into uh, the, that part of um, production. I would say with uh, with different methods here in Canada that are somewhat different than than the U.S. But uh, it's 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 also uh, any time that we can add value on the on the farmer side of the table, it's something that we're interested in, and so we just want to make sure that uh, what what we provide as far as a requirement or or guidance that uh, we kind of have uh, things figured out before we uh, you know walk before we can run, I guess essentially. So you know we're continually looking at all avenues and value adding to the plant and to the crop. And so um, nothing seems to be out of the realm of investigation (laughs) with this crop. And that's the exciting part of of the crop is that it has so many different opportunities that the challenge occasionally is to stay focused on one. And that's kind of what we're trying to do currently, making sure that uh, the food product aspect is stable and then move on to perhaps some other uh, opportunities. And, you know, again, such a unique team, experienced in agriculture, experienced in hemp, uh, patient. I happen to know you you find women and gentlemen on a personal level. So patient, grounded, family-oriented, community people. And you got together and formed these companies with basically a team of so many level heads. It's, it's ideal. And we don't see that very often. Could you share with the listeners some of the common mistakes that you see in folks trying to get into hemp? And I know it's a big world, so let's narrow it down into hemp food production, let's say, or or, or the hemp nutrition or even hemp genetics businesses. What are some common mistakes that, that you see as this as this revolution sort of rushes to to everyone's consciousness in North America? I would say with any new crop processing and having a home for what you grow is one of the biggest, I would say, um, flags that needs to be raised. Um, there's a lot of people that want to perhaps grow hemp to get some of the experience uh, without really uh, finding out what they're going to do with the crop after the fact. So I do get phone calls where someone will say, I would like to grow hemp. And so one of the Return questions I have is what end use market are you gearing for? And sometimes I occasionally do get the answer of, well, I'm not really sure. I just want to grow hemp because everybody's growing hemp and that's a cool thing to do these days. But so try to talk them down a bit, make sure that they have an end use market for their product. And uh, in doing so, making sure that they, they do a good job again on the quality side of things. I think that's, that's uh, you know, uh, any of my presentation, that's something that I continually um, <laughs> overstate, I guess, is making sure that quality, because we do have some uh, other product that comes in overseas, and in my mind, the North American farmer 
is uh, one of the best farmers in the world, if not the best farmers in the world, producing, um, you know, high quality, very good uh, products, whether it's uh, traditional grains or, or hemp. And so to maintain our place in the marketplace and, and in the world, uh, we have to make sure that, that, that we continue to beat that drum with regards to making sure that quality is, is, is a factor. So really, I think that's the biggest issue is, is just making sure uh, you have a home for your crop and then how to align yourself with someone that can provide you with the assistance to grow it successfully. And not to say that we have the answers for every location, but we can certainly discuss um, what the issues are and what is going to arise from growing the crop and then finding out what what you have for equipment and logistics and everything else um, to help make sure that you're successful. We're very fortunate in Western Canada here because much of the infrastructure that's in place on farms is well is has been put in place for our our other cash crop of canola. So making sure that you have the proper type of bin with aeration for reducing microbial load um, or minimizing microbial load. All of these things we have in place in Western Canada. In certain areas of the U.S., it may not be as readily available, so there has to be some ingenuity and how are we going to address the situation of, um, say, harvesting at a higher grain moisture than than normal. So just, yeah, aligning yourself with, with people you can trust to help um, get to the finish line and uh, get there successfully. Such important insight, such important insight. And let's talk for a moment about the the conversation around conventional hemp farming versus organic hemp farming, whether it's the, if you want to sort of dissect the conversations in general, or, or certainly if you would be willing to share your thoughts uh, on that subject, because we see of course, that hemp, uh, organic hemp grows for a prettier penny than conventionally grown hemp. And what is the, the real difference? And that may be a regional difference, but in general, what are your, your thoughts? What could we share around that conversation for the listeners? I mean, uh, both conventional and organic are system-based approaches. And I would suggest that organic is, is you know, it's it's often described as playing a game of chess where some <laughs> conventional farms might be checkers. So you really, really, you know, it, it doesn't mean that it cannot be a science-based um, decision or science-based decisions can't be made. There's, um, as we mentioned earlier, the, uh, you know, the crop is definitely a hungry crop. How can we make sure that the nutrients are, are there for hemp, both in the conventional and also on the organic side of things. So, as we said, proper crop rotation, uh, utilizing um, animal manure, um, a number of these different things, and always, once again, keeping in mind about quality and food safety. So, there's, um, I think there's, there's excellent opportunity on both ends of the scale, um, both for conventional and organic, and it's, it's the same same spiel, I guess you could say, is that you just have to make sure that you understand how what the crop can give you as an advantage, and then what are some of the issues that you have to keep in mind as far as, uh, let's just say, weed control in organic. Um, there's a lot of misinformation, I guess, out there that says that hemp can kill weeds, which is, is not quite true. So 
you, you still have to control weeds and give hemp the advantage that it needs to suppress weeds. It will certainly do a job suppressing weeds, but you have to still give the, the plant the advantage over some traditional weeds, and, and it can compete very readily. But if not given that chance, uh, you could be in for a disaster. So there's subtleties like that, and not, that's not even really that subtle, I guess, but those types of issues you have to make sure um, are addressed prior to planting the crop in, in both of those situations. Indeed, and, and thank you for that. And and I also noticed the Environmental Protection Agency here in the U.S. had a public comment period. There were 10 uh, pesticides, that, uh, and, and many of which were, one of which was just neem oil, and many of which included neem oil, and some other things that they were looking to approve uh, for hemp. Are there any approved pesticides in Canada for hemp? Yeah, uh, on the herbicide side of things, we have uh, minor use registration on on uh, one or two different products. Um, one is a pre pre seed product. Uh, one is an in crop spray, and then we also have some some grassy weed control options also that um, that are on the registered uh, list. So we do have that, and uh, it's. Uh, it, it yeah it obviously helps uh, it's more tools in a farmer's tools toolbox and um, helps uh, grow the, the crop much more successfully and could you let us know some of the differences or things for American consumers or consumers around the globe to be concerned with when we look at uh, seed hemp seed for human consumption that is now coming out of China now they're the leaders in textiles clearly in hemp textiles. Um, and other aspects of hemp, but we don't normally think of things for human consumption coming out of China. Could you tell us what some of those differences may be in the quality of that food product based uh, versus food products coming out of Canada, the European Union, and certainly the United States? Well, I think I think what North America has embraced lately is actually just traceability, and our company takes that extremely serious also. So I can take a look at a bag of our hemp hearts, take a look at what the lot code that identifies, you know, where it was grown. And just with our our direct communication with the farmers, I could probably tell you what crop was grown three years previous to to hemp being grown there. And so that, I think that's the most important thing without, you know, getting into, I guess, a lot of detail with, with other countries. But traceability, knowing where your food product comes from is a very important, I think, for for the North American consumer. And that's one of the things that's provided by North American processed grain, essentially. And and uh, it's, uh, in my mind, that's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's an important part of of uh, again keeping keeping the family safe and, and making sure that that uh, you know exactly where your food comes from. And we have such a great relationship, the United States with Canada. I really see us as as a joint force here. Uh, although I don't even like to use those words as, as a joint effort to work together to deliver this crop in in all of its healthy and beneficial ways to the rest of the globe. How are some ways that you can see uh, Canada and the United States uh, working together as as a coalition or working together strategically to enrich our countries, stimulate our mutual economies, create jobs, and and continue to deliver on the promise of this versatile, valuable hemp crop? Yeah, I I guess it's just I I continue to reiterate, but uh, standards, uh, working together on 
on food standards, uh, working together. We call them IR4 projects on, on herbicides. So instead of having, you know, initially as, as the U.S., you know, gears up and of course the, has such, such an ability to produce any crop in such vast amounts. But, um, I mean, working together to, you know, to, to make sure that the value chain, that everybody in the value chain, I guess, is, is an important, um, an important has plays an important role and is financially successful to make sure that that uh, you know the crop can can thrive and can um, be processed and, and delivered to to consumers in a in a good manner. Um, it's you know there's going to be there's no doubt there'll be some headbutting also. Um, Canada has established itself as a world leader in the food side of things. Um, the U.S. will you know has the opportunity to. To challenge that and uh, I'd be you know I'm not naive enough to say that we aren't somewhat concerned about that but at the same time I think the bottom line is that um, we see the value and and together as we move forward the consumer awareness again removing a lot of the stigma with people thinking that if you had ate a handful of hemp parts that you would fail a drug test all of this stuff is important in a, in a united message and 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 research and clinical studies uh, that help solidify what the acidotal evidence is showing is going to be critical. So I think in that manner, um, together, we can, uh, we can make a difference for sure. It's fantastic. Um, I cannot personally thank you enough for all that you share through all of my educational efforts, all of the many conferences that I'm involved with and seminars and educational opportunities throughout the United States and, in fact, the globe that you are such an integral part of, um, a tireless warrior out there, not only to advance the crop in, in meaningful, uh, physical ways through genetics, through the processing of the grain, through the teaching of the farmers, but in sharing the information and working with with these institutions of higher education. You are truly a hero of Hemp Heroes, Jeff, and it's a real honor to have you on today. Thank you for everything you do and and thank you for being with us on Hemp Barons today. It is always a pleasure speaking with you, Joy. So all the best to you, and thank you so much. You're making me blush here. It's, <laughs> it's just, uh, it's great. But uh, and, and thank you for all that you do, for sure. An honor and a pleasure, brother. Until next time, and please send my highest to you, yours, and everyone at the Hemp Production Services and Hemp Genetics International team. Will do. Thanks again, Joy. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Tune into a major journey podcast today, where guests take listeners on journeys and immerse themselves in the roller coaster ride both in and out of the cannabis space that brought them to where they are today. Throughout our conversations, guests share valuable lessons that they've learned along the way that listeners can use to empower growth both in their personal and professional lives. Check out A Major Journey today on all major podcast platforms.